We are cranking along in this sermon series that we've been in. It's called Church 101. Um, I, got to go to, uh, I got to go to the duck game on Friday night. Super fun. Got to take my son William. It was his very first duck game, and he had a blast. We just had a blast. I haven't been around that many drunk people in a long time. Uh, I forgot how much alcohol gets consumed. Um, it was a blast. It was fun. But um, we sat, we were sitting watching the game, and we were sitting next to this, this nice, you know, just this couple from, um, from Medford, and we were just asking them questions, get to know each other, just super friendly, and just like, oh, what do you, you know, it's like, hey, uh, there was their first game too, so it was really fun to sit next to them. And nothing shuts down healthy conversation quicker than when I tell people that I'm a pastor. <laughs> It's just, it just happens. It's always like, hey, so what do you do? And then I'm always in that moment because I'm like, I could totally lie and make something up and they would never know, right? And I'm tempted to do that sometimes. Like, I'm an astronaut, you know? Like, <laughs> you've been tempted to do that too. Like, you just kind of want to like make something up. Um, but, you know, and then sometimes instead of telling people I'm a pastor, I just say like, oh, I run a nonprofit, you know? Because that sounds like, oh, that sounds like really hip and cool. Um, but, you know, but it, and you should, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. I pastor a church here in town. And then it was just like, whew, like just the conversation was just done. It was just gone. They just didn't want to talk anymore. And, you know, I'm, I'm, this is what we've been talking about these last few weeks is on one hand, listen, we should, we should totally get it. Like, I get it. We should get it. There's a lot of people that look at the church of Jesus Christ and they are really skeptical about the whole thing. For all sorts of reasons. I mean, for some, I mean, it's just maybe they've had, they had an experience themselves at a church that just, that just wrecked them. And so, so, of course, they would think it's all just a bunch of baloney. There's a lot of people that they're not necessarily skeptical, but they're just kind of indifferent. You know, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what they do there, but, you know, they just do, they're into it. So that's fine. You do you. Um, but there's a lot of people that you've got, they've got parents that got, really got hurt, and so therefore that translated onto the kids, and so, you know, it just wasn't a part of their lives. And then also, there's all sorts of reasons to be skeptical. When you look at some history, you took history class, and you see some things that the church of Jesus has done in Jesus' name if, uh, in past centuries. It's just, oh, it just should, it should break our hearts and make us really sick to our stomachs. And then you could just turn on the news now and you could see, you know, sexual abuses. You can see moral failures. You can see pastors and leaders and churches, uh, you know, wanting money more than they want people to know Jesus. Or just, just addiction to power and leveraging power in ways that are really um, unhealthy. Or we can see all that stuff. And so it's, it should break our hearts. And so no wonder there's a bunch of people that look at the church of Jesus Christ and they say, what a bunch of baloney. And those same people look at what I do for a job, and they're like, uh, no thank you. <laughs> That's the worst kind of a job you could have, is just perpetuate this whole church thing. And so we've been talking a couple of weeks about this idea, is even though there's certainly all sorts of reasons to be skeptical about the church. My, my thesis, my argument, is that when people were doing all those things, and even if they were using Jesus' name, they weren't doing it because of their faith. They were doing it in spite of their Christian faith. They were going against what it, what it actually means to be a, a follower of Jesus. And so just like, you know, if you were to have a map, and several weeks ago I had a map up here, and it was, you know, saying if you take a wrong turn on a map, the answer isn't to burn the map, right? The answer is to return to the map. 
You took some wrong turns. We returned to the map to find our way. And so the answer with the church isn't to push it off, isn't to, to just get rid of it. The answer is to return to the heart of it, to return to the heart. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a church together? So anyways, if you, you know, we, we're, we're kind of, you're kind of at the, the last quarter of the movie here. So you're like showing up and it's like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, you can listen to all that stuff online. I wish I'd get everybody up to speed with everything. But uh, what I want to do today is uh, I just want to remind us that the church isn't a, a place. The church isn't a day of the week. The church is it's a people. It's a group of people. And what, uh, the things that we've talked about over these weeks was we said that God, has, that God has some beautiful things to say about his church. He calls, it, he calls us the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple, the family. My favorite is when Paul calls the church the new humanity. The new humanity. A new way to live in this world. A new way to be human. Um, that's pretty big and profound and we are literally the church of Jesus Christ isn't going out into the world looking down its noses at anybody else the church isn't going out in the world just trying to prove that we're better than anybody else in fact if there's a group of people that knows that we're not better than anybody else it's Christ followers we know that we're, we're, we're not the best like we sang the amazing grace that saved a what wretch like me that if you follow Jesus, then you know the depths of the depravity of your heart. And so there's no room following Jesus to go out into the world and just try to be better than anybody else. No, what we're doing is we are literally just reciprocating the, the love and the grace of our God that he lavishly poured out on us. The grace that he gave us is so unbelievable, guys. It's just mind-blowing. It's life-changing. And so therefore, as cha with changed lives, we march out into the world and we want to we want to be like Jesus. We want Jesus formed in us so that we can be His hands and feet. That's what the church is doing in a nutshell. Uh, for the past two weeks, it talked about how the church has done this, and we just said we said that the church has been doing all these these things in this list right here. That the church has been all about compassion. That the church has been about speaking truth to power, compelling creativity in our world, um, not grumbling or complaining. That these have been some things that Christians have been known for. That these have been the things that. Christians have been doing for centuries where it's just made the world stop and say, what is it about these people? I don't necessarily understand or know about their theology, but, but man, there's something happening with this group of people. How we have hope in the midst of suffering and how we're reassuringly similar, but surprisingly, but surprisingly different. We talked about that these last two weeks. What I want to do today is I just want to talk about where we get the power to, be, to do these things. Don't, don't we want to be known by these things, don't we? We want to be known by these things and not known by the crusades, right? We, we want our name to be in, uh, circulating amongst those in our world that even if they don't believe, they would just look at our creativity, they would look at our compassion, and they would say, wow, that is different, that's amazing. Where do we get the power to do that? Now the answer, the answer might be um, not what you think. Because the, is the answer just that we're just supposed to go out and try harder? No, that's not the answer. You see, we would think that the answer would just be that we're just supposed to go out and just work harder. That's not the answer. That's not how this gets done. Or, hey, if we just had more power, that's what it'll take. If we just had more power in our culture, in our world, we could do these things. It's not the answer. If, what if we just had more money? 
right? Just more money. If we could just have more money, then we could be more compassionate. We could do all sorts. We could just, we'd have way more hope in the midst of suffering. Um, if we just had more money, that's, that would be the thing, right? No. What if we just had more laws? That's what we'll do. We'll just create lots of laws in our world, like lots of Christian laws, and we'll just make tons of laws. And then if we just do all the uh, just laws, then all this stuff is going to happen. That's how it's going to get it done. The answer is no. No, none of that stuff is going to be the answer for, for the, where we get the power as Christ followers to get this done. So where I want to take you to, to just see where the answer is, two passages of Scripture, um, two really famous ones, actually, that we've, we've talked about, actually, a bunch um, in our times together on Sunday mornings. Um, this first one is from Matthew 28, and this is Jesus. He's hanging out with his... With his group of with his group of guys and his and his and not just guys, his the women that were following him, his disciples, um, and he has this funny conversation with them. He's just he's died on the cross already. He rose again. All right, so his disciples are freaking out like, "Oh my goodness, he's alive! Let's get after it!" You know, like they're like, "Jesus is alive. He's risen Savior. Let's go and take over the world." I mean, they're just ready. And so he has this funny conversation with him where he says this. This is from Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. This is known, this is known as the Great Commission. This is what Jesus says. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so his disciples are thinking like, sweet. Like Jesus has got power. Now we're going to take over Rome. Now we're going to raise an army and now like we're just going to, and we're going to get swords and we're going to like take care of business. I mean, now Jesus is like, he's with us and he's risen and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And so it's, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, we've got, we've got the ticket. I mean, like he's, he's, we're just going to follow him and he's just going to, he's just going to roll over this whole world and with his truth and with his grace, like go get him, Jesus. And then Jesus says this, he says, therefore, Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey. And so imagine they're thinking, whoa, 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 wait, Jesus. Like, we're, we're going to do it? No, 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 no. No, you're the risen Savior. You're going to do it. Like, you've got all authority on heaven and earth is on you, so you do it. Wait, you're saying that, like, we've got to go do it? Like, that's not what we were expecting. Like, now it's, it's our job. You're giving us a job. Like, we thought that was going to be your job. It was like a night at the Roxbury moment. It's like, you, me, you, me, like, uh, us, you, me. Wait, what? Wait, us? It's supposed to be us? And then he says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then... Pretty soon right after that, Jesus left. <laughs> he just leaves. And he leaves the disciples alone. And they're confused at this point. I mean, here's Jesus. He's, he rose from the dead. I mean, why can't he just stay and just kind of finish the job that he started? And they're confused because it's like, wow, now it's our job to continue the, the mission of Jesus? He's leaving it up to us? And they're looking around and they're just like a ragtag group of people. There's not that many of them at this point. There's just a handful of them at this point. And they're like, and we're going to go into all the, all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and making disciples of all nations like us? Like, we don't, like we're, we're not even that great of fishermen. You know, like, how are we going to do that? And they're confused. And then maybe there's some hope because they're like, okay, but Jesus is going to be with us to the end. But then Jesus, then Jesus leaves them. 
and they're confused. What are they going to do? This is such a huge job. They're in way over their heads. And we are in the same position as they are, in the exact same position as them. The job that he has given us is way over our heads. And they were thinking at this point exactly what we, the Church of Jesus, now should be thinking, and it's this. It's they're hoping that, Jesus, would you just please take the wheel? (laughs) Would you just take the wheel, Jesus? Because we can't do it. And we're in the same position today. Jesus, this is such a big job for us to make disciples of all nations. How are we going to do it? The answer comes just a little bit later. They're hanging around. Not a lot of ministry has happened yet. Jesus gave them this commission, but like nothing, nothing quite has, has happened until we get to Acts chapter 2. This is what happens. I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came... Uh, the day of Pentecost was this uh, was a holy like Jewish like a feast where Jews from all over the, the the nation would come and travel and pilgrimage back to back to the city to Jerusalem and they'd have these big meals and it was just a big celebration. So there's a lot of people from a lot of different places here in the city and in, in, during during Pentecost and they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Um, a lot of things is happening here. And the story goes on. Like I, I, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you today. Um, but they start speaking in these other known languages and people start hearing them. And they're like, whoa, there's, he, they, they're speaking my language. Because remember, there's people from all over the world there in the city at this point. And these disciples are speaking in these different languages that, that people recognize. And so they come and they gather. And, uh, you know, Peter preaches. And it's all this really cool and beautiful thing that he says. And there's a bunch of people there. Some people are loving it. Some people just think they're crazy and think they're drunk, actually. <laughs> it literally says that people were standing around saying, these guys must have had way too much. Just like at the duck game I was at on Friday night. But what, here's what happened after this moment that the church has, okay? Remember, the church, this is like, this is like, this is second Christmas. First Christmas is, is Jesus, or God coming in the flesh and taking on a body. And this is second Christmas. This is God now coming and not just inhabiting a body, but inhabiting a, a bigger body, a group of people. Suddenly, they didn't have the power to be able to accomplish the mission that Jesus gave them. After the Great Commission, they were inspired. Okay, maybe we can do this. But it wasn't until Acts chapter 2 when suddenly they were, they were filled. They were filled with this power, this ability. And here's what we know, is that they literally went out, and the church of Jesus Christ from this point on was, it was unstoppable. Unstoppable. The growth, the expansion, just a small group of people. No, and, and how did they expand? How were they unstoppable? Is it because they had a lot of money? No. Did they have, even, did they have buildings? No. They didn't even, guys, they didn't even have Bibles. I mean, they had the Old Testament. But remember, at this point, the, like, the New Testament hasn't been like, compiled and written. So they, they don't have Bibles. They don't have tracts. They're living in this very hostile Roman Empire where if, you, if they find out you're a Christian, Nero's going to put you on a stake and light you on fire to illuminate his gardens. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of world that you live in. And what we know is in these years, Christianity exploded all across the, the Roman Empire and all across the world. Why? It's because they came with two things. They had two things now. 
They came with news. They had news. Not good, not good advice. They had good news. See, there's a big difference. As Christ followers, we don't come to the world with just good advice, just some good tips, some good information. Hey, here's some better ways for you to be moral. Here's some better ways for you to shape up. That's not what we're coming to the world with. We, guys, we are coming to the world with the best news. And the news that they had was that Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. That's what they went out into the world preaching. He's alive. He conquered sin and death. They had news, but they also had something else. They also had the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on them and fills them and shapes them and launches them out into the world because it was a job that was too big for them. They needed some help. So I want to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning a little bit. That's the power that we have to accomplish, to be known for all those things, for the crazy compassion and for the way that we have good attitudes even in the midst of suffering and pain. It's not that we try harder and it's not that we just make more laws and it's not that we just need more money or power. It's that we've got something in us. We've got the Holy Spirit that helps us and guides us and leads us and pushes us out into the world. Now, um, this is not a sermon on the Trinity because I just couldn't do it, all right? I can't fit it in. The idea, the Christian beautiful doctrine of the Trinity is that God exists in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they all work together. I cannot explain that to you this morning, all right? I've done plenty of sermons in the past. You can just look, on, look at them on, on uh, you know, they're, they're recorded somewhere. Uh, but all I can tell you is this, is that St. Augustine said this. It's my favorite quote about the Trinity. He says, if you deny the doctrine of the Trinity, you lose your soul. But if you try to explain the doctrine of the Trinity, you lose your mind. Because <laughs> it's just... How in the world can God be three and, and yet one? It's just, it's just mind-boggling. And theologians, there's just, man, there's just so many conversations about how that looks and like what it means. But it's a beautiful doctrine. One of the reasons why I find it beautiful is that, um, you know, I teach a class at New Hope Christian College. And uh, so I love it. And, um, and, oh, great. Yeah, three people are, and one over here. Thank you. Um, and, uh, and I do this thing usually, when, like one of the first days of class in, in the fall, I teach this class of, of new freshman students. And, and I ask this question about why did God create us? When we look at Genesis 1 and God created, why did God create us? And, and then I do the thing that good teachers are supposed to say. They're like, hey, there's no wrong answers. You know, no wrong answers. Just, just toss it out. But, but really, there are plenty of wrong answers, you know, but I don't want to say that. Uh, I want people to feel like they can weigh in, you know. And, uh, and it was a couple years ago, uh, one guy raised his hand in the back. I was like, yeah, what's your answer? He's like, oh, he created us because he was bored. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, well, um, wrong answer, okay. I know I said there were no wrong answers. But, uh, um, but no, I mean, imagine if God just has existed for all time and it's just, it's just him, then you could kind of make the idea or make the assumption that then now he's going to create humanity because he kind of like, he kind of is lonely. He kind of needs us, you know. He kind of like, he, he wants to be liked. He wants to be loved. He wants to be appreciated. And so he's going to create some minions. You know, he's going to create some people that are going to just like make, you know, fill his tank and make him feel so good about himself. And if that was the case, then that would make, uh, that would make this God that we serve just kind of, kind of needy, you know, kind of like, love me, love me. Why don't you love me? You know, like that sort of a God. And that's not, I mean, 
And see, that's the beautiful thing about the Trinity is in this doctrine, we have this beautiful idea that God has existed for, for, forever, for all time, as, as a community. Like, like the ultimate small group God has been in from, from the beginning of time. And what it means is that he is full of love in and of himself. He is, in fact, overflowing with it. He does not need it from us because he has it already in abundance. And so God doesn't create us because he's lonely and because he needs us. God creates us because he has so much of it that he, he's got to share it. It's got to pour out of him. He has to invite others into it. But if he's good, then he's got to invite others into it. And so he creates us. And so that's, that's my little tiny mini side sermon on the Trinity, okay, of like, of like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But I want to talk about the Holy Spirit today just, just real briefly because it's, it's one of the members of the, of the Trinity that is just the most hard to understand there's a lot of confusion surrounding the Holy Spirit and like what the Holy Spirit's job is and you know what, what does the Holy Spirit make you do, you know? Um, there's this one word that, uh, that you've probably heard before, but it's the word Pentecostal. Now, here's what you gotta know. We are a Pentecostal church, okay? And here's just what that means. What it means for us is we believe that the Holy Spirit that was given to the church to be able to, to give them this power to be able to go out into the world and accomplish this incredible job that they had to accomplish, that that same Holy Spirit is with us today to help us accomplish the mission that he's given us, that we have the Holy Spirit too. And so that's what makes us what's called Pentecostal. And it's word from, you know, they were gathering to celebrate Pentecost. And so it was such a big, such a big moment in the life of the church that, that that's what that word means. It means we're Pentecostal. Now, you might grow up, you might have grown up, and when you see the word Pentecostal, or maybe your friends that aren't here see the word Pentecostal, they picture something different, right? They might picture like, handling snakes, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know what people picture, you know, just kind of like, like, you know, just kind of craziness in the services. And there are definitely, definitely some great Pentecostal churches that, that ex express their faith in those, in, in those ways. But the, I just bring that up to say, even just the word Pentecostal is just this word that like, man, it evokes a lot of feelings for people. Uh, a lot of us it evokes maybe super positive feelings. For some people, it evokes some negative feelings because maybe you went to like, you went to a, like a church camp or something. It was a Pentecostal church camp. And maybe you just had some experiences where people were trying to like push you over or like, you know, like make the Holy, make Holy Spirit mojo happen to you, you know? And you just, you just felt like, oh, it just didn't feel, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel good. And so you walked away feeling like, oh, those Pentecostals, you know? But this is our roots. We are a four-square church. And what that means is that our, our founder was a, this gal named Amy Simple McPherson. And she was in the early 1920s. And she was, in her time, she was one of the only females that was, that was uh, traveling around as a, as a preacher. Uh, she would do these crusades. And people, people would come, gather. People would become saved. Everywhere she went, she would have, had a four-point sermon everywhere. And it, was, and it was the same sermon every time, is that Jesus Christ is our Savior He's our healer, he's our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and he's our soon and coming king. That was our four-point sermon. It became known as the four-square gospel. And so that's where the name comes from. We're a four-square church. And uh, there's lots of, several other four-square churches in town, and there's tons of four-square churches in the United States. But you know what I love about being part of four-square? Is there are way more four-square churches in Africa than there are in the United States. 
There's way more Foursquare churches in South America than there are in the United States. The, the Foursquare is just a global movement. It's just kind of all over. Really, the, the churches in the United States is just like a small drop in the bucket compared to the family that spans the globe. And we're a Pentecostal denomination. And that's what, this, that's what this means, is it means that we believe that the Holy Spirit is with us, empowers us, helps us. Um, um, I have really great memories of my Pentecostal roots. Um, I had great experiences at summer camps. I had big Holy Spirit-like moments growing up that I'm grateful for. I, had mo- I have moments that I can look back and I, and I just, even when things get hard following Jesus, I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm called and that he loves me and that he knows my name, that he cares about me and that he's got purpose for my life because I had some experiences, I had some moments that just really shaped me. Um, there was also some weird stuff in my Pentecostal past that sometimes you just have to like say, well, you know, I don't know if that was the Holy Spirit, but, um, you know, like I'm just going to, uh, like one I can remember we were in high school group at, and we were having our high school church service. And there was maybe about like 40, 40 kids there and we were singing, we were worshiping. It was youth group on a Wednesday night. And, uh, and my friend Bobby over here is, he's, uh, you know, we're kind of worshiping and he kind of like sits down and I saw him from the corner of my eye. He sits down. And then he kind of like, he kind of like slumps over like this. He's kind of like slumping. His eyes are closed and he's like this. And so, you know, we coming, like as good Pentecostals, you know, who just got back from summer camp, we were like, oh, he's slain in the spirit. He's got the Holy Spirit on him. Like, oh, praise God. So we're like, so we just like lay hands on him. We're like praying for Bobby, just spirit, whatever you're doing in Bobby right now, just do it. Because, you know, Holy Spirit, you're just like, you know, so like the youth group gathers around and the youth pastor were there and we're like, oh, Holy Spirit, come on, Bobby, you know. And then, um, and then like Bobby's not waking up for, for a little while. And so we're like, hmm. Maybe we should call an ambulance. And so we call an ambulance. Turns out Bobby had only eaten ice cream for three days straight before that. And so he was in like a, like a diabetic coma sort of a thing. <laughs> and he's okay, everybody. He got the help he needed. All right. They took care of him. But here we are for like a half an hour, like just praying over the Holy Spirit. Oh, praise God. Oh, my goodness. Just the stories that we could tell, you know, from our summer camp times and from our Holy Spirit times. Um, Guys, I'm grateful. Here's what I want you to see from Acts chapter 2. There's some things happening in that room with the disciples that are just key for us. First, what we see is we see wind. We see wind. Remember, the, the, they're in the room, and it's like this blowing wind that rushes into the room with them. This is, this is really key because if we were Jewish and if we really knew the Old Testament, we would know something. We would know that whenever you see like the wind of God, it represents life. It represents life. Remember, God creates Adam and Eve and in this like beautiful poetic just sort of description of, of life coming to be, it says that God kneels down and he breathes. He breathes life into Adam and Eve. And there's this other, other parts where, the, where prophets talk about the wind of God dr- blowing across this desert area and it blows across these dry bones. And when the breath of God just blows over the dry bones, the bones come to life again and they get flesh again and, and it be, they, they, be, they come back to life. If we would know, if, if we were Jewish, we would know that whenever you see the wind of God, it's, it, it represents his breath, his life. And so here we see in Acts chapter two, life being breathed into the church of Jesus Christ. 
his life. The other thing we see is we see fire. We see wind, we see fire. And it says that fire, it seemed to them like there was this fire that was like resting on all of them there. Like, what's that about? Well, again, if we were Jewish, and if we really knew the Old Testament, we would know that fire represents something too. Fire represents God's presence. Represents his presence. One classic place that probably most of us would be familiar with is, remember, Moses is shepherding sheep. And what does he see? He sees this bush. And what is it? It's on fire. But it's not burning up. And so he goes and he encounters the presence of God. But there's a problem. There's a problem throughout the Old Testament with God's presence. Because you want to be in God's presence, but God's presence is so intense. It's so beautiful. It's so holy. It's so raw that it's, it's, it can be fatal. It's like no mere mortal just waltz into to God's presence fire his presence and just you know and everything's fine no it's this like holy reverence of of like fire it's beautiful and it's lovely but but man I can't I can't get too close to it because it's so there's this problem how in the world are we going to get into into God's presence without him burning us all up and the answer comes in Jesus suddenly we have God in the flesh coming and his presence walks and talks with us, walks among us. But then, guys, it gets even better. Because Jesus leaves, and then the promise is this, is that now God's presence is no longer in a bush. The fire isn't in a, in a, in a temple, isn't in a box like the, the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant. It's not in, in the most holy temple place. It's not, it's, you know, it's not in, in some building anywhere, and it's not in the, the person of Jesus walking around anymore. Now God's presence is with a people. His life is breathed into his church. His presence is given to the church of Jesus. And, and, and recognize this. Recognize this. This is what I love. Is notice, this is, what we can take, this is what we can take from this, is that every Christian now, every Christian is a burning bush. Every Christian is a burning bush. Notice, notice that the tongues of fire came on, what does it say? Do you remember what it said? Every single one of them. Not just the apostles. It would make sense, right? If it was like tongues of fire came upon Peter and James and John. You know, the SEAL team of the Jesus followers. Those are the people that got his presence. I mean, we would, we would read that and say like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But in, in just a surprising twist, God's presence come on, comes on every single one of them. Not just the person with the microphone. Not the person that went to Bible college. Not the person, you know, that, like, you know, that knows more than the other person. Now it's just a whole new paradigm. Every Christian now is a burning bush. Every Christian has God's life and his presence. The other thing that we see is language. We see, we see uh, um, breath or wind. We see fire. We see language. I can't get into that today. But here's what's so cool is that God is making a bold statement with this language that these people are speaking. And God's making a crazy statement. He's saying, hey, no culture gets to claim priority over another. So God's saying. I am for every tribe, every culture, every language, not just one. God's making a bold statement. When he gives his life to the church. Okay. Um, Here's what I'm going to do. Is uh, I want to end with what does this matter for you? And what does this matter? How does this matter for us? 
What's, what are you supposed to do with this personally? What are we supposed to do with this corporately? And while I'm talking about this, can I just have the band come back up? And just as I'm, as I'm talking, don't mind them. They're going to do their little shimmy, shimmy shake over here and just kind of like get ready. <laughs> Did I just say that? That was weird. Um, they're not going to do that, actually. Um, so I just want you to listen to me. Um, what does this mean for you first? Um, here's what it means. It means you've got the Holy Spirit, and that means that you get to be transformed. The word is transformation for you. Power, help. You can't understand the Holy Spirit unless you understand the life of Jesus. Because yes, Jesus was God and man all together. It's, it's just a mystery how he can be all God and all man all together. But um, how did Jesus, how was Jesus able to do the things that he did? How was he able to, to heal blind eyes? How was Jesus able to resist sin, to resist temptation? How was Jesus able to just walk around and do all the things that he did? It, w- it would be easy for us to say, oh, he's just leaning in his div- into his divinity. That's what he's doing. He's, he's God. So, you know, he's, of course, he's doing his divinity. But here's, what, here's, what, here's what's so kind of beautiful is Jesus, in those moments, he's not leaning into his divinity. He, 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 he's God in the flesh, but he decided to set aside all of his divine attributes so that he could live as one of us among us. So how in the world is he, like, doing these miracles and, like, just being like he's able to forgive people and people are crucifying him and he says god forgive them for for they don't know what they're doing i'll tell you how he was able to do that stuff jesus was filled with the holy spirit jesus is the ultimate example for us of what a spirit of what a spirit filled life looks like and so if jesus needed the holy spirit to do all the things that he was able to do then we need the holy spirit to be able to do all the things that we can do um, listen, I, maybe you're struggling with fear today and you just feel powerless against it. I just want you to know, listen, I, I, there's no easy answers. It's not like, oh, the Holy Spirit mojo is gonna come on me and now I'm not gonna fear anymore. That's not the answer. But here's what, here's what is the answer, is you aren't powerless. You've got the Holy Spirit. He's with you. Let him work. Let him transform. Is there, a, is there like something that is just a huge temptation for you? It's a sin. It's a, it's a thing that's messing you up. You keep returning to it and you feel powerless against it. Does any, anybody relate to that at all? Or am I the only one? You don't have to raise your hand, but okay. But hey, we could all raise our hand. I should have said that first. Yeah. How in the world are you going to get some, like, some traction against that? Whatever it is, I'll tell you how. You have the Holy Spirit. You got it. He's there. He wants to help you. He wants to walk with you. That's why, that's why Paul says, hey, instead of walking in the flesh, choose to walk in the Spirit, to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit's with you. Transformation. You need it. I need it. The Holy Spirit is here. He wants. He wants to give that to you. He wants to help you. He wants to get down underneath everything and transform you from the inside out. That's for you. For us, here's what it means. Is, do you know why I'm a Pentecostal? Do you know why I'm a Pentecostal? It isn't because I just like want to feel Holy Spirit feelings. It isn't because like the Holy Spirit is just supposed to like do kind of crazy stuff in our services. That's, that's, those are the, the small answers. Do you, know, do you know why I'm a Pentecostal? It's because I need to be. 
I need to be. We need to be. Guys, it's a big world, and God has given us the directive to go and make disciples of all nations, to help people understand how beautiful and wonderful he is, that we're gonna go out into the world with with compassion. We're gonna go out into the world with compelling creativity. We're gonna go out in the world, and we're gonna be reassuringly similar, but surprisingly different in all sorts of ways. And it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be good, but it's gonna be hard. It's a way bigger job than us. We can't do it alone, and so we need the Holy Spirit. I'm a Pentecostal because I I need to be. There's no other option. I need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to help us be the church of Jesus Christ. So here's how I want us to to close today is is we don't normally do this. Normally we just kind of sing like one sort of short song at the end and we take communion. Um, But um, I wanted to create some space so that we could sing um, we, could, we could take a little bit more time this morning to sing. And here's what I want us to do is uh, I want you to walk out of here. If you're a Christ follower, I just want you to walk out of here just knowing that you've got the Holy Spirit. That it's not, uh, that it's not a, a question mark for you. That it's not like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'm not good enough. Or, you know, I'm, I, I love Jesus, but like, I'm just not sure if I have the Spirit's power. But listen. If you're following Jesus, and if you say, Jesus, you're my treasure, you're my king, and I want to be with you on this crazy mission that you've given us, then that means that God, then you've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's on you. Maybe you just need to acknowledge it today. Maybe there just needs to be a moment where you, maybe you need to f- feel something today. But again, it's, it's, you don't have to feel something to have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for an emotion. You've got the Holy Spirit. But maybe God wants to give you that emotion to attach to it so that you can kind of put your stake in the ground. I don't know. I, I kind of just don't know what he wants to do with you or with me, frankly, today. Um, but we just want to give him space. Amen. We just want to just be able to say, God, I'm available. I'm here. Send me out into the world, empowered, transformed, because we've got a big job. Uh, Somebody said said one time that I'll always remember, he said, every Christian has the spirit, but the spirit doesn't have every Christian. I love that. Every Christian has the spirit, but the spirit might might not have you yet. And so will you just kind of just say, Lord, in this, in these next moments, God, just, I'm available. I'm available. Just use me. Empower me. Transform me. Holy Spirit, be a part of my life. Transform me. Make me new. What if you left today knowing that you had the Holy Spirit? It's going to launch you back into your family, into your workplace, wherever you're going to go next. That he's walking with you. He's helping you. He's directing you. He's encouraging you. He is making you look more like Jesus every day.